This is a Smarter World podcast focusing on the technology and issues behind today's connected world. I'm host Nitin Dahad, editor at EE Times and Embedded.com. In this episode, we'll discuss ultra-wideband and how it promises to bring change to the connected world. Ultra-wideband has received a lot of interest lately as handset makers like Apple and Samsung have begun to roll it out, while big players in the automotive industry are making serious moves in secure car access. What makes these use cases possible is ultra-wideband's ability to provide spatial awareness to smart edge devices. What does this mean for access control, for the consumer, and for the ultra-wideband ecosystem? Today, I'm joined by Charles Dax, SVP and General Manager for Secure Embedded Transactions at NXP Semiconductors, and Ramesh Sangukrishnasamy, SVP and CTO at HID Global. Charles, let's start with you. I know from talking to you before that the very name of ultra-wideband has met with some preconceived ideas and misconceptions based on its utilization, say, 10 years ago. For people who are coming new into this topic or, you know, for the first time, or they might be carrying some baggage of their past understanding of ultra-wideband, once and for all, can you explain what it is and what it makes possible? Indeed, I think the biggest misconception out there is ultra-wideband is just another connectivity technology. And it is true that many, many years ago, it started as a data transfer technology and as such. And at that time, it was competing with technologies like uh, Wi-Fi and Bluetooth. But since then, ultra-wideband has gone through several transformations. It has evolved from an OFDM-based data transfer communication technology to an impulse radio technology, which is specified in IEEE. And more recently, it's been enhanced with security extensions and a number of things that guarantee that integrity and accuracy of arranging measurements are going to deliver on the user experience. So today, it truly is actually a sensing technology. It provides the unique ability to provide secure location capability of devices uh, with respect to each other. And maybe just explain why it was reinvented. Why didn't it just continue being wireless HDMI improved or something like that? Well, for a simple reason that there were other technologies that dealt with data transfer technology, right? Um, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth. And the reason it was reinvented is really that it provided capability that none of these other connectivity technologies could provide. And that is that ability to provide spatial awareness and secure uh, location capabilities to devices that are equipped with ultra wideband. That's why it came to the forefront again. We had a debate even within NXP and within FIRA on whether we should rename this and call it differently uh, because ultra-wideband has it, this connotation of things that were very different uh, 10, 20 years ago. But at the same time, over the past few years, it was used by many industry players in its new capability right, as a sensing uh, technology. So we just elected to continue calling it ultra-wideband. <laughs> and I guess within your customers now, people now accept what it is now and they don't really necessarily have a preconceived idea because obviously they're working with you on this. That's correct. I think there was maybe a bit more than a year ago, some confusion. Uh, we don't see that confusion in the market anymore. Good, good. And what does it make possible? So what, what it makes possible is through its sensing capability, it makes it possible for devices to understand their respective location with respect to each other, right? And that in a very accurate way. And when you provide that capability to devices, they now can act in an intelligent manner based on their understanding of that relative location. 
many of the use cases that uh, that are now attracting interest are really relying on that capability. Okay, and we'll talk about the use cases later. Ramesh, would you like to add something? Yeah, I think uh, what Charles shared is um, is correct. You know, things like accurate ability to allocate relative position. Uh, as well as doing it in a very secure manner, you know, make it more robust for RF interference. And those are some of the things that uh, would make the applications or uh, use cases uh, much more robust and uh, enable consistent uh, seamless user experience. That's interesting because um, uh, people for many years have been trying to do this single user d- digital ID um, without much success because there are too many different systems. So I guess, you know, that's part of uh, where this might help. Is that right? I think so. Yeah. What drives innovation in this area? Uh, I know you talked about security. Is it the secure access that's driving innovation or are there other things as well? Actually, I see the evolution is happening in all the three dimensions that we talked about, uh, maybe at different pace at different time. You know, for example, for a long period, access control has been mainly based on low frequency RF technology based, right? But in the past six, seven years, you see significant increase in adoption of BLE and NFC based solutions, thanks to uh, mobile access solutions, right? So the adoption of mobile has really helped to adapt these uh, BLE NFC based uh, solutions. As I mentioned earlier, by and large, even in mobile access uh, solutions, the main user interaction has been to emulate the physical card in some form or other, right? Also, the usage of mobile, you are able to store multiple digital credentials in a single device and use them across multiple applications and use cases. I think Thrustedia now is enabling seamless, hands-free access control. More importantly, how can you provide a consistent, seamless experience when you unlock the smart lock at your home or unlock your car or access your workspace or when you check in into a hotel, right? That's I think, is where the innovation is happening a lot as we speak. What are the key characteristics of ultra-wideband on the specific example of access? Pin down, what is it exactly that it's giving you that significant advantage? Okay, maybe I will uh, start with what Charles mentioned earlier, right, to add to what he said. I think UWB, in my view, enables higher level of accuracy in positioning capabilities, right, along with increased uh, security compared to other RF technologies. And uh, UWB is also more immune to RF interference, so it works much better in high-traffic settings. I think these capabilities will enable a much better seamless user experience in a variety of use cases like hands-free access control in your workplace, uh, hospitals, hotels, homes. So that, I think, to me, uh, is one of the key differentiation. I suppose, yes, but why is that accuracy important? I think it gets to the, the crux of that secure access, isn't it? Yeah, that accuracy. That's true. Yeah, I think it plays two important roles, Nitin. One, to be able to provide a secure access, you know, making sure that, okay, it's you and it's only you and not somebody is tailgating and things like that. And second and most important aspect is the user experience. You know, with ability to pinpoint where you are precisely in a location, you can then 
enable more advanced capabilities like intent detection, whether somebody is walking towards the door and then looking at the trajectory, you can unlock and you can verify the credential and lock the door. So it becomes very seamless and if you if that's an automatic door you as you approach the door automatically opens and then as soon as you exit you know a certain space outside of the door it automatically closes at the same time if you're just passing by the door again looking at the angle of arrival and the trajectory it can say that okay it's this individual even though he or she has the valid digital credential is not intending to open the door, so I'm not going to unlock this door. So those kind of higher level capabilities would be possible with these type of technologies. Excellent. You've explained it very well. I think that's what I was trying to get to. Well done. Thank you. <laughs> Let's go to connectivity. And I, again, yeah, it's for both of you, but I think there are a few connectivity technologies out there. Are they mutually exclusive or complementary? And what does ultra-wideband add to the wireless tech landscape? And you, know, you did talk about interoperability. And just tell us a little bit about you know, how everything fits in together here. I think, to your question, are they mutually exclusive or complementary? I think it's probably both. There will be implementations where they will be complementary. I think access, home access or car access is a good example of that, where Bluetooth would be used for Bluetooth LE would be used for the discovery part of the interaction with the user. And then as soon as you come in proximity of a door of the car or your home, an ultra-wideband would take over. And in other cases, there might be use cases where uh, they might be completely mutually exclusive, meaning on, only ultra-wideband might be used for a specific use case or only Wi-Fi and Bluetooth LE. What ultra-wideband brings to the table, as we already discussed earlier, is truly this ability to precisely locate in space and do that uh, in an extremely robust way and in an extremely secure way. So that really is what Ultrawideband is bringing to the table that complements what other connectivity solutions are able to provide today. Ramesh, do, did you want to add anything to that in terms of the overall landscape? Yeah, I agree with what Charles mentioned there, right? So it, it's mainly use case driven. Right. For example, with the broad portfolio of products that we have in JD, we enable trusted identities of worlds, places, uh, people, things. And many of our products are packed with multiple RFID technologies like low frequency, NFC, BLE, Wi-Fi to address various needs of the customers in different use cases. In some use cases, it's sufficient to have uh, one or two combination of these technologies. But in some cases, you end up in having support multiple RFID technologies, especially in case where we are in the transition mode. So ideally speaking, one don't want to have the low frequency RF technology, but then with a huge customer base, install base, which still predominantly uses a lot of low frequency cards, we end up in offering low frequency in even our latest products, right? So that's just to maintain the continuity of it. But I'm sure at some point, the convenience and the security and the versatility of the mobile phones would overtake and help the customers to transition over to this new mobile access-based ecosystem, then we don't need to no longer support certain RF technologies. But then definitely UWB has its unique 
capability when it comes to location sensing because that's the key aspect of UWB. I think, uh, again, time has to say, but I personally think UWB would play a very key role in many of the future offerings uh, moving forward. How do the technologies actually work together if you have those multiple technologies working together? I guess there's something you have to consider in terms of how you make sure everything hands off to each other well. Yeah, that's correct. And this is also where standards come in. So for instance, at FIRA, so the Fine Region Consortium, one of the first use case which has been specified is the access use case. And how do we deliver uh, a consistent experience across uh, different ecosystems, different verticals for access. That's one of the key things that uh, FIRA has been focusing on. The same is true for for car access, where the Car Connectivity Consortium has looked into how to make sure that this combination of uh, Bluetooth LE and ultra wideband is done in such a way that it delivers on the experience promise. That sounds like it's very similar to how when uh, Bluetooth was uh, initially set up, uh, it was uh, set up with profiles, uh, which were standardized. It is, yes. Okay. There's uh, one question I wanted to ask related to how ultra-wideband compares and overcomes hurdles at, say, Bluetooth. I think you kind of answered it earlier, but because we're talking about this connectivity right now, how does ultra-wideband overcome the hurdles that Bluetooth Low Energy has in terms of precise inside-outside detection for hands-free access? Yeah, I think fundamentally the physics are different. Wi-Fi and Bluetooth LE rely on a modulated sine wave carried over an hour frequency, where ultra-wideband really has a unique pulse signal, very short pulse signal, which is operating over 500 megahertz of frequency. And and that fundamental difference in physics means that Bluetooth LE, Wi-Fi are just by nature more susceptible to environmental factors they use RSSI, right, which includes obstructions and interferences from other radios, radios and results in, in reduced also accuracy. Whereas ultra-wideband just benefits from the fact that this pulse signal maintains its accuracy, even as the distance between the devices is increasing. So if you really have devices that move away from each other, tens of meters away from each other, it's still very resilient in non-line-of-sight operations. Yeah, maybe, Nitin, I would like to add one other dimension to what uh, Charles has mentioned. I think, uh, Charles, feel uh, free to correct me if I'm wrong. I I was not part of the Bluetooth uh, special interest group or uh, NFC forum at the beginning, but now I'm part of uh, FIRA. One of the things I see happening in UWB is specifically for hands-free access is we are starting UWB adoption with a very focused use case in mind. And one of the first use cases that as a, as a consortium that we have taken is access, right? So that means we are able to define certain standards, certain performance requirements, certain interoperability requirements exclusively for the physical access control or hands-free access. So that, I think, sets apart UWB and the adoption of UWB to enable uh, more seamless, secure access compared to other RF technologies with which got originated in a different context, but then got adapted into physics in the physical access world. Whereas I see that UWB is taking a completely different approach in terms of driven by the use case, specifically for access control to start with. And of course, we have many other use cases in the pipeline. Charles, I don't know uh, if you 
agree with this, please uh, feel free to come in. Yeah, I mean, in the case specifically of NFC, I think one of the big benefit of NFC when it started was that there was a legacy infrastructure. There were already many contactless cards out there used for access and, and other use cases. One of the difficulty related to that is it's 20 years of legacy that you need to deal with, with including solutions that are completely non-standard compliant, depending on where you're trying to enable visa use cases. Now, NFC has dealt with this by over the years, just making sure that the solutions that were being deployed enabled to deal with that complex, additional complexity of a legacy infrastructure. The advantage, as, as Ramesh just said, for ultra-wideband, it's a clean, plain field for ultra-wideband. And we're starting from the gecko in defining uh, the use case and the implementations in such a way that every device door lock out there is going to be interoperable from the gecko. So I think that's one of the key uh, differences here. One last point, point on, on this uh, topic before we move on to consumer adoption. And it, I think it relates as well. How are biometrics complementary to ultra-wideband? And I think part of this was covered earlier, but can you just tell us the connection between biometrics and ultra-wideband here? Yeah, I can say that biometrics has been complementary to any of the RFID-based technologies all along. So I think that will continue in, in, their, in specific use cases where you need multi-factor authentication, you know, RFID is one of the factors and then use biometrics, either uh, facial or fingerprint or some other form as a second factor authentication. So I think that aspect will continue, even though the enhanced security that comes with the UWB might make it much more robust, much more stronger, the overall solution. Let's talk a little bit about consumer adoption. What you know, will it take for new users to get used to a new technology? You talked about interoperability earlier, uh, Ramesh, but let's just dwell on what is it going to take for users to get used to this? I think interoperability and a robust ecosystem are really key for adoption of any new technologies, right? especially if there is not much legacy. So that's true for uh, ultra-wideband as well. Without interoperability, we cannot achieve, first of all, consistent user experience across different devices manufactured by different manufacturers, and we cannot scale. And that's why we set up FIRA Consortium with the help of industry leaders and technology providers to promote UWB and ensure interoperability. So that really guarantees or at least gives assurance that the device that you buy can work with multiple mobile phones or other endpoint devices as technology evolves. And if I may, I would add to this. So indeed, I mean, making sure that you provide this unique and consistent experience is going to be key for the consumer. The other one, of course, is that across a broad ecosystem, leaders in their industries start deploying and manufacturing devices that have that capability. Right? And that's very important. And that's what we see right now happening in mobile, in automotive, and also starting in IoT. You have some very big names out there that are essentially understanding, acknowledging, and acting on that unique capability that Walter Whiteman delivers and are pushing consumer devices out there. So it's going to be more and more visible to consumers as more devices, phones, cars, et cetera, are, are going to be equipped with this technology. And I think part of it is going to be the, the large smartphone manufacturers supporting it. I know 
for example, there was a big talk about this when, uh, was it last year when Apple introduced quietly the uh, ultra-wideband in the latest iPhone last year? What's the importance of you know, some of these smartphone manufacturers picking up on this? And I think Ramesh should probably have something to say on that. Yeah, definitely. Now, compared to in the past, the mobile phones are the wearables are becoming the primary holders of digital credentials. So they play a key role in adoption of technologies like this and especially ensuring the interoperability of it. And that's why we are happy to have some of the big players in the consortium. And and we are quite excited about the fact that many of the key players have joined this consortium to drive the interoperability and adoption. In terms of consumer adoption, again, I think one of the other things which probably is necessary is, yes, it's uh, good to have it in, in, say, the smartphones or uh, the access devices, but then it needs it on the other side as well, in the locks and everything else. So I guess you need to have the producers of the access systems as well adopting it. Is that right? That's true. Yeah, that's very true. And that's why you see a number of key players in the access industry, meaning the access control reader manufacturers, lock manufacturers are in the consortium. And are there any, maybe there aren't, but are there any examples of people who are already adopting it who you can name or you can give examples without names? At the uh, CES 2020, the beginning of this year, looks like a very long time ago, but (laughs) uh, we did do a technology demonstration along with uh, NXP and Samsung to showcase both UWB-enabled readers and uh, smart residential locks. So I think I'm not saying we are the only one, but I see many key players are quite interested in this and that's why they are part of the FIRA consortium as well. But if you look at if you look at the members, for instance, of FIRA, there's some really big names out there, Sabloy, HD being one of them, which obviously are active in the space, yeah. I'd like to add, if I can, if I can one more point about the mobile VM's role is in here. It's not just providing phones that are equipped with ultra-wideband. Uh, some of these big names and the ones that have been vocal about it, so, so Apple, Samsung, and Xiaomi, are active in driving a broad range of use cases, right? It's public that Apple and some car manufacturers are working together. As Ramesh just said, it's public. Samsung is working with some access companies. They they also do this because they want to deliver that ultimate experience to end users and because they also acknowledge the fact that a lot of work has to be done in the background to create that interoperability promise. And they're very active doing that. Okay, let's talk about standardization. Where do we stand in terms of standardization? I think you did address it very briefly, but uh, what are the next steps and what will be the critical milestones towards achieving interoperability? I can quickly give three branches to standardization. IEEE is one. Where in particular in the last two years, there were a lot of activities in extending the original IEEE ultra-wideband standard with uh, security and also enhancements that allow better integrity and accuracy of ranging measurements. So five Mac level implementations have been uh, specified in uh, IEEE. At the Car Connectivity Consortium, specifically for this hands-free access use case, as we just discussed, the standards are now in place. So digital key release 3.0 specification is there, right? And that will enable passive location-aware keyless access. And then FIRA. And, and this is why, together with HID, Sabloy, and, and Samsung, we jointly initiated the FIRA initiative last year, is now making sure that beyond the car access or the car 
ecosystem, we deliver on this interoperability uh, promise. Sophia was created more than a year ago, has now more than 50 members. And it focused immediately on essentially building upon what was defined in IEEE and providing the, the FI and MAC technical requirements and specifications so that use cases could be built on top of the standards defined in IEEE. That was actually already finalized. And then it moved into really also starting developing specifications for use cases. And access was one of the key focus area uh, there, but it's now being extended to many other. So test, FIRA test specifications are going to be uh, following up for FIMAC and, and uh, specific use cases. And more working groups are being put together now to address a variety of use cases beyond access. One of the other areas, I think, in studying ultra-wideband is there's HRP and there's LRP. I don't know if there are two camps or it has different applications. Could you tell us maybe a little bit about those? Because that is part of the standardization. I yeah, I think there is not much of a debate anymore. There were a number of few closed ecosystems, primarily in automotive, which were looking into LRP. But if you look, for instance, at FIRA and the Car Connectivity uh, Consortia today, they're mandating HRP for their ecosystems. And the reason for that is simply the fact that it offers lower power consumption, it has much higher data rates than LRP, and it also has a better radio link budget, which means that it's, for instance, less affected by human body attenuations. And last but not least, it also has a, an operation range, which is much larger. So LRP typically is going to work around uh, until 10 meters. HRP allows you to go to up to 100 meters in light of sight. So it's quite a difference. Yeah. My personal perspective to this side, I don't think there is so much of a debate anymore on what the main trend will be in terms of ultra-wideband adoption. Once we have ultra-wideband in the phone and in our door lock, it basically becomes part of our home. But then what's next? You talked about uh, seamless user experiences, but how is that going to be enabled? I think it's uh, it mainly goes back to the fundamental benefits of UWB, right? Because of its fine-ranging capability, we believe it'll enable many new location-based services, whether it is access or device-to-device uh, -device, uh, communication in the IoT applications, both in the consumer electronics space as well as in the industrial applications. And that's something we are quite excited about because the potential of UWB technology in managing access to physical and digital places, things and identities are something fundamental to many of our offerings. And we believe this will uh, change a lot in, in many of our offerings in different use cases. Yeah, to add to this, I mean, give you specific examples of where we see interest. I mean, indoor navigation, uh, real-time location, uh, services in industrial uh, environments, ticket validation for public transport services, tap-free, complete hands-free mobile payment experiences where essentially you walk in a pay area to check out from, from your shopping uh, experience, social distancing, virtual reality, gaming applications. There, there really is a very broad range of interesting use cases out there. Yes, in the home, for instance, if access, uh, we discussed, I think, quite extensively, but and many other things in how audio experiences can be improved by essentially having music following you from one room to the other, 
Same for lighting robots that have ability to go to their charging stations in a very simple way. There are a lot of things that could be done in, in the home environment beyond access. Okay. I mean, you've really addressed the point that access can be a catalyst for many more different use cases. Yes. And it can in the sense that from a consumer experience, to give you an example, for instance, for NFC, one, one of the catalysts for uh, users to really be exposed to, to that technology and that user experience was transit. And in China in particular, for instance, millions of people today are using their mobile phones to access their bus, their subway with NFC. And because it's a simple way to create that, that gesture, that, that experience, the consumers understand that they were doing it with a card before, now they do it with a phone. It has a better UI, they do it for access, they do it for payment. In particular for payment, if you look now in the last year, the adoption of mobile-based payment has increased substantially. And it's a simple act and they understand that experience. I think access for to wideband will be also a catalyst from that perspective. Am I right in imagining that where they're using NFC at the moment, it'll be more secure using ultra-wideband? I think it will be a combination of, like uh, Ramesh was saying earlier, there will be use cases where you're going to have combinations of both. Just to take car access, for instance. NFC is going to stay because you do want to have a solution which operates with no battery. If, if your battery is completely low, you still want to have the ability to provide that access digital key experience. So it's going to be a combination of both. What about the road ahead for both of you now? What, why should we have confidence in ultra-wideband to become uh, a widespread reality? And uh, why should companies jump on the bandwagon as soon as possible? Sure, maybe I'll, I'll start first. I think as we discussed many key points here. I think UWB, starting from almost a clean sheet, has less of a legacy issues to deal with, right? So it's more of how well we can define the standards, how well we can enable interoperability, how broadly we can build this ecosystem. And that's really the key. And that we are seeing the work in progress I mean, starting to happen as we speak. And that gives very high confidence for key players in this industry to join force in creating a much more delightful user experience in their products or offerings. So that's really one of the main factors. And second is, as we briefly talked about some of the enhanced security aspects, I think there is an increasing awareness and also demand about security and data privacy. And this technology is going to enable some of those aspects or overcome some of the shortcomings in the other RF technologies. So that is the, is the second factor. The third one is ability to have versatile applications going from one place to other place in different devices and different endpoints. If we could create uh, consistent user interactions, user experience, I think that would make the adoption much wider, much faster. To add to this, I think what makes me very confident that this is not just an experiment out there, in addition to what Ramesh just said, it's just a sheer interest we get across different industry verticals on what ultra-wideband can bring to them. It's quite impressive uh, the number of, of companies that reach out to uh, understand uh, the technology and also see what uh, they can do uh, with this and acknowledging that this is bringing 
a really unique uh, proposition to them and their end users. And, and the second item is really the endorsement it's getting from some really big companies out there. And at the end, technologies don't reach scale unless some very big players invest. And if you look at the brands out there in the automotive space, the ones that have been vocal about it, like Continental, BMW, Volkswagen, Bosch, in the mobile space, Apple, Samsung, Xiaomi, in the Axis uh, space, Assembly, HID, and, and many others, these are not small players, they're leaders in their, play, in their uh, industries. And the fact that they are working with other players in the industry to create this broader ecosystem is, is what gives me a lot of uh, confidence here. That sounds exciting. Charles and Ramesh, thank you very much. Thanks a lot, Nitin. Thank you, Nitin. This has been the Smarter World podcast with me, Nitin Dahad. Thanks for listening and see you next time. Thank you.